My title today is The Secret Passion Behind the Lord's Prayer. When you read the Lord's Prayer, you see it's more than just a a list of requests or a formula to follow. It's throbbing with a passion that is coming straight from the heart of Jesus. And this is the passion. This prayer is about passion for the Father's glory. That's what's motivating it. That's what its heartbeat is. It's passion. It's an open secret, passionate for the Father's glory. Let's read then Matthew 6, verse 19 in the NLT. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You missed a good place to say amen. Okay. I want to ask you a question. What makes you tick? If I was to come close enough to you and I'd hear the tick-tock of your heart, your personality, what would be driving your motivation? What would be defining you as you step out into the world, as you live your life at home, in all your relationships and all your ambition, what's driving you? What's different about you? So that if men and women of the world were close enough to see what's going on in your heart, then you will, they will say there's something different. A good friend of mine, Gerald Coates, lives in Cobham and a house there and garden and so forth and and, uh, next door neighbours moved in, new people and they were kind of on casual acquaintance for a little while and and, and what Gerald and his family didn't know was how closely the neighbours were watching them. Then one day the lady from the neighbour's house signaled to Gerald to come and have a chat over the fence. And a nice chat, so forth. And then the lady said this, do you know Mr. Coates, I've been watching you. And he said, really? Yes, you and your family. What is it? Gerald said, what is what? What is different about you? There's something about you and your family. What is it? And Gerald smiled and said, Mrs. B, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. They were attracted by something, something magnetic, something enigmatic, something that the world can't understand. And this is it for all of us. We are motivated by a passion for the Father's glory. Why? Because we are disciples of Jesus Christ. The open secret 
passion of the Lord's Prayer is passion for the Father's glory. Everything that Jesus teaches us to pray is birthed out of the passion of his own heart for the Father's glory and and inputted, imparted to us that very same passion. So the Lord's Prayer is not just a form of words. It is something that arises out of a passion for the glory of God the Father. Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, had this passion from all eternity. Jesus, as the Son of God, from even before the creation of the world, was filled with passion for the Father. That's what defines his sonship. And the Father also filled with passion for his Son in this reciprocal movement of passion, of love, and of glory in the presence and in the the Holy Spirit who binds all the members of the Trinity together as the third person of the Trinity. How amazing then, of course, that when Jesus came into this world, he didn't leave the passion of the Father behind. It was the Father's passion that brought him there. And Jesus' heart throbbed with the passion for the Father so that he said, I've done nothing of my own authority. I've not made up my mind what I should do. I've only done what the Father has called me to do. I've only done what the Father has shown me to do. I've only said what the Father has told me to say. 100% motivation of Jesus for the passion of the Father's glory. Nothing filled Jesus' heart more than love for the Father's glory. And as disciples of Jesus... He imparts that same passion for the Father's glory and then teaches us the appropriate way of expressing that in prayer. Today, if you get to know this, not only will your prayer life be transformed and will no longer be about you and your needs and what you want and what you think and what God hasn't yet given to you and he'd better give it too quick if he wants a bit more praise from you. It won't be like that anymore. It'll be, Lord, just whatever you want, that's okay with me, but I want to spend time in your presence because my biggest prayer is to see your name honored, your name glorified. What this will be is a 100% turnaround from us being obsessed with ourselves, focused on ourselves, and we will be 100% focused on the glory of God. This comes across in several ways in three petitions that we're looking at today. First of all, it says, may your name be holy, kept holy, seen and preserved in people's understanding to be holy because you are a holy God. Secondly, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. NLT says soon It's not exactly in the original, but the idea is is that people are so longing for the kingdom of God and that, that they're saying, God, we want your kingdom to come very soon, looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. As it says in the book of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come, even so, come quickly, Lord. Maranatha. And the third part of the prayer, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer invites us to anticipate the atmosphere of heaven 
which is clean and pure and full of the glory of God, full of the honor of the Father, and where God's will is perfectly expressed in an atmosphere of zero resistance. May God grant us less and less resistance to his will in our own hearts. But first of all, the glory and honor of his holy name. There is an expression, I'm sure you've heard of it, and maybe you've used it. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And in certain instances, the other expression that goes along with this is, love is blind. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever had a good friend in your life, male friend, female friend, and suddenly you find they're a little less available for you because they've become interested in somebody else of the opposite sex. And you get to see who this person is that is taking so much of time and attention of your friend, and you look at him, the friend, and you look at her, you know, the boyfriend, the new boyfriend, the new girlfriend, and you say, my, 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 what does he see in her? What does she see in him? And you think, well, goodness me, love must be blind. And love does have a perception. You know the story of the beauty and the beast? It was all about inner beauty and so forth. But we can talk like that and that's positive. But there is another form of this statement which says beauty is in the eye of the beholder which is destructive of our very humanity. That's a very strong statement. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The, um, um, the Indignity of Man the death of humanity. And in this book, he shows that a lot of people are attacking the notion that anything can be beautiful in itself. The book is entitled The Abolition of Man. Have a look at it when you find it. Now, let me just explain what... what what, what I mean by this. Has anybody here ever been to the Grand Canyon? Keep your hand lifted up high, nice and proud. Is it as beautiful as they say? No? Well, come on, speak to me, speak to me. Yes. Okay, let's go and have a look at it for ourselves. Here is the Grand Canyon. For those who can't afford the airfare, you get it free at Kensington Temple. Now, I've never been and uh, checking on the internet this morning to find a picture, we had so much to choose from because there are so many astonishing scenes here. The Grand Canyon, one of the wonders and marvels of the, of, of the, of the world. We could also think of other beautiful places like the Barrier Reef, Great Barrier Reef. But let's stick with the, with the Grand Canyon. We could also think about Niagara Falls, but let's stick with the Grand Canyon. Now, this is beautiful. If you went there, you'd look at it, you'd say, this is sublime, this is beautiful. Is that right? But suppose you had never seen it. Would it still be beautiful? Okay, suppose nobody had ever seen it. Suppose this was as yet an undiscovered part of our planet. Would it still be beautiful? Yes. I heard a couple of no's, but the thing is, the people who are saying no just need to listen carefully right now. (laughs) 
Because if we say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, it can suggest that if we are not looking at it, then it's not beautiful. And if we look at it and we find it beautiful, then we are giving it beauty that it doesn't have in somebody else's eyes. But whether we have seen it or not, if something is beautiful and being created by God, it is beautiful even if nobody ever sees it. It's beautiful in itself because our God made it and gave it beauty. So in other words, what we're saying here is beauty is not just in my perception. Beauty exists in the thing itself. And I, wanted you, I said that because I want you to understand this. When we say God is holy and God is worthy and God is glory, it is not just our opinion. It's a fact. Even if God had never created a universe and, and chose to continue to exist in all his perfection, and that community of love, Father, Son, and Spirit, even if God had chosen to remain like that, He would still be glorious and amazing and splendid and powerful. So when we come to see Him as glorious, we are discovering Him for who He is. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray, Our Father in heaven. Begin with a relationship. Begin with a revelation of who God is. And as soon as you see who God is, your glorious heavenly Father, passion for the glory of God will come forth from you and you will not be able to help yourself. You could not stop praying then as to save your life. As soon as you see His glory and His and His power and his majesty the first thing you want to crowd is oh God let everybody know who you are let everybody see you for who you are you are passionate about his name passionate about his his reputation and you can only pray this meaningfully if you are passionate for the father's glory now there's two sides to this. Let me give you one side. There's a good side, but let me talk about the negative side. Do you know what? I think sometimes we've done more damage than we can possibly imagine by making kids say repeatedly over and over again, church services, our Father, child in heaven, hallowed be your name, blah, 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 blah. Just to say it off like that. Now that's the negative side. The positive side is that some of that can go in. You get me? Okay. Some of that can go in. But gee, no wonder prayer is boring and repetitious if we don't know the one we're praying to. It's the same as the Bible. Sorry, I've got my iPad Bible here. Uh, but let me grab a Bible. I can't find a Bible in the house. You've got one. It's pretty small. Yes. My Bible's down by the side, but I've got 27 versions in my iPad. Please believe me. <sighs> but this Bible, small as it is, very handy, is boring until you know the author. Thank you. Prayer can be boring until you want to get to know God better. The weight and value of his person, everything about him, the Father's name, the Father's glory, 
That which dis- dis- displays him as, as being holy, utterly unique, separate, infinitely exalted, totally unique. The God that is above every other God, the God bef- in whose presence no other God exists. He is the only wise God. Wow. May your name be honored. May it be seen to be holy and may it be preserved to be holy in our thinking, in our heart, in our life, in our praise, in our worship. Amen. And as soon as we've expressed our passion for the Father's glory by saying, may your holy name be honored, another petition comes forth. Another request comes forth. It pours out of our hearts. We say, okay, how is it that God's name is going to be seen to be holy? Here, I know, may your kingdom come soon. I like NLT, soon. In other words, this is anticipating and and longing for the life that is to come because this world is not our permanent home. Oh, come on, stop being too comfortable on this planet. We take care of this planet, we build for the kingdom of God, but this is not our home. Our home is the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness is at home. In the meantime, we're living in a hostile environment where righteousness is not at home. There is a battle to remain in the righteousness of God. There's a battle to resist sin. And there are many arguments that come against the Christian faith. And this argument against the Christian faith will cause you to cry out to God more than anything else. And that is the presence of unexplained suffering. I don't know if you recall an interview, it was all over YouTube, that our good friend and national treasure, Stephen Fry, made. It was then in the beginning of February 2015. In an interview on Irish television, the interviewer, and people know who Stephen Fry is? Oh, good. I thought I was going to have to say, you need to get out some more. But anyway, brilliant man, very funny. He hosts television program, QI. And we know he's um, an atheist. And, uh, but he just went ballistic one day on television. And I'm not criticizing him because the Lord only knows whatever pain or torment is in his own heart that led him to say these kind of things, but he did say them. And the question was put to him by Gary Bryan of RTE Ireland, saying, Stephen, suppose you walk up to the pearly gates. In other words, you're dead, okay? You walk up to the pearly gates and you're confronted by God. What would you say to him, to her, or to it? That's, the, that's, what the, that's what the interviewer said. And Stephen Fry, Fry's answer was outrageous. It was over the top. He let rip. This is what he said. I, will, I would say bone cancer in children. What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world that has so much misery? That's not our fault. It's not right. It is utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? Does anybody feel, not the conclusion, but the weight of those questions? Come on, you can be honest here. I do. I feel the weight 
When I look at the world, I see beautiful things, but I see such unexplained suffering and such pain. But I feel the weight of that pain, but my conclusion is different. It isn't to abuse God and to accuse God. It is to say, may your kingdom come soon. That's my response. Because we know that if we say, take God out of the picture, you take the only possible solution away. If you say, well, I'm not going to believe in God because of the pain and suffering, have you dealt with suffering? Have you explained suffering? The atheist has not solved the problem of suffering by removing God. But the atheist has removed from his own mind the answer to suffering. Because if God is a good, loving, powerful God, he will act one day to clear his name and let all the world know that there is justice for the injustice in the world. There is satisfaction for those crying out for justice and there is healing for those who are in pain. There is both retribution and recompense in the future kingdom of God. That's why we say, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come soon. We prepare now for the coming kingdom and the kingdom is coming every day and we can encourage the kingdom and advance in the kingdom and allow the kingdom to advance in us when we surrender to that kingdom. How wonderful. How do we do that? The Lord's Prayer goes on. You don't have to think about what to say next. It just flows out of you. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, this is glorious. This is glorious. What does it mean? Let's think about it. All right. Imagine. Now, I'm not going to ask if anybody's been there because there'll always be one who says, yes, I visited heaven last week and I came back, all right, on this planet. But, and I'm not denouncing the fact that some people do have amazing visions of heaven. But God wants us all to have a vision of heaven. It's your future home, not just heaven up there, but heaven and earth joined together in the new heavens and the new earth. But what is characteristic about heaven? What is so special about heaven? Well, it's where God dwells, manifests his glory and his splendor, and where God's will is perfectly manifested and perfectly done. That's heaven. In other words, the atmosphere of heaven is a zero resistance atmosphere to the will of God. And you and I know that even our own hearts and spirits, there is still resistance to the will of God. It's called that old stinking flesh side, which is why we've got to pray daily, Lord, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in me. I surrender to your will. I follow Jesus in a life of obedience. I respect your opinion more than anybody else's opinion. Now here's a little bit of... Uh, of uh, a revelation. Well, certainly was for me when I looked at this. Do you know the, the Greek word in the New Testament for glory is doxa. Doxa. Say, well, what are you teaching us Greek for? We're struggling enough with English, thank you. <laughs> Greek. Well, you already know the word. You know when people talk about 
right doctrine, people who are orthodox in their belief. All right, the historic orthodox Christian view, orthodox. Of course, you've got the Greek and Russian orthodox churches, it's the same word, but orthodoxy is meaning correct belief. In other words, believing correctly what the Bible says. You're an orthodox Christian. You respect the Bible, you respect God's truth, you are orthodox. That last part of the word, orthodox, is the word doxom, glory. What does this tell you? It tells you that the glory of God is intimately related and extricably, inextricably linked to his will. If you want to bring God glory, do his will. If you want to manifest his glory, do his will. Surrender to his will because his will and his glory are the same. The word doxa is related to the word opinion. Now, many, many years ago, many, many millennia ago, in ancient Greece and in the ancient Greek language, doxa was used of public opinion. Public opinion. So politicians will say, what's the doxa? What are people saying out there? Even philosophers would consult about public opinion. And they had an interest Because either they wanted to change public opinion or manipulate it for their own advantages or whatever, correct it. And so we have a doxa, which is the glory of man. I'm so glad that the Bible says, all people are flesh, like the flowers of the field. The people are like grass comes and goes, but the word of God goes forever. Do not put your trust in the doxa of man, the opinion of man. Glorify God and trust his word. There's a very big difference in today's world. Now we see that, don't we? When it comes to various bits of legislation. Spoke to you earlier in the prayer time of the assisted suicide bill, which is coming to Parliament on the 11th of September. And what people will be doing will be waiting for the right moment where public opinion is with them in order to have this bill passed. And so they will have been manipulating public opinion by telling the tragic stories of people who are in great difficulty, wanting so much to be free from pain. And all your sympathy will go in that direction. And you will forget that you are following the opinion of men rather than the opinion of God. And God says, I want laws that protect people, not laws that will allow people to harm them. And that's where this legislation goes. But even more than that, the Bible teaches God's glory, God's doxa is this. God's opinion is this, you and I are made in the image of God and we cannot make our own decisions without giving full place to the Bible understanding and revelation of the sanctity of life. And when you look at all the lists of legislation, so much of this is human doxa. I'm so glad 
that that word began to take a different form and it began to be used of anybody's opinion, whether it was a good opinion or a bad opinion. And the New Testament takes that word and applies it exclusively to good opinion, that which is good and true and right and worthwhile. That's what is glorious. That's what is doxa. And this word is used above all for the glory of God, the opinion of God, the revelation of God, God's word that can never be contradicted. God's opinion, that matters more than anybody else. He is the only one who has the absolute right to his own opinion because he is God. And when you line up with the opinion of God, even if you have to go against every opinion of man to the point of persecution, if not mere embarrassment, it's time to say, Lord, let your will be done. That's what we stand for. And when we say we have passion for the will of God, what we're saying is, Father, I put your will first. Even as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Where we say, God, I am so committed to your will that whatever it costs me, I will surrender to it. But our Views are still shaped by the opinions of men. And here's one big one today that says if it feels good, it's good. If you want it, you have a right to it. And if it appears to contradict God, then don't worry, God will understand. Because after all, he wants you to have a pain-free, happy existence. No, 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 no. Tell that to Jesus. And I'm not just saying that Jesus went to the cross. You say, well, I don't have to go to the cross. My sins have been paid for. Oh, yes, but the very one who went to the cross said, take up your cross and follow me. And you know what? That is painful. But if, you, if you're passionate for the glory of God, you're going to say, God, I don't care if this hurts. I will choose pain. If it means obeying you. Because Jesus has shown me the glory of my Father. My Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done. In me. In us. My community. My Christian community. That I can reflect your glory out there in the world, that the nations may know that the glory of God is already active in this world and one day it shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So what does it mean to be passionate for the glory of God? It means three things. Each of these petitions we've looked at May your, may your name be hallowed. We recognize the awesome wonder of God's name. We don't make it wonderful by worshiping him. We worship him because it is wonderful. The awesome wonder of God's name. Secondly, may your kingdom come. We acknowledge the supreme authority and ultimate victory of God's kingdom. 
That's why we say, may your kingdom come. If you don't pray it like that, it's because you're too comfortable in this world. I got news for you. Don't put your trust in this world. This world is passing away. But we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and that lasts forever. May that kingdom come. And thirdly, person who's passionate about the glory of God, may your will be done, recognizes the absolute perfection of God's will, the total integrity and final authority of God's word. And you can only grasp these things and be crave for them and be enthusiastic for them if the passion that Jesus has for the Father has been birthed in your life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May thy kingdom come. May thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you say those words because you know that God is your Father? Can you say those words because Jesus has entered your life and has imparted to you as the Son of God his passion for the Father's glory? That in your desire to be close to God, you follow Jesus who said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Are you able to approach God and come to know him because you understand that you have a right to do so, not in yourself, because you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but you have a right which is opened up to you by the grace of God through Christ. So you say, Father, I want to come to know you because Jesus died for my sins and has taken away my guilt and given me the right and the privilege to become a child of God. Do you know what the difference is? The difference is this. If you have that passion, you're able to say, Jesus is my Savior. I've surrendered my life to him. Grace has come to save us. Truth has come to free us. You have shown your favor to the undeserved. Love came down to reach us. You became our ransom. Suffered at the hands of those who came to save. You displayed, you displayed your power, you performed your wonders, eyes and ears were open, captives were set free. Revealed your glory, light expelled the darkness. You embrace the cross, and now you wear the crown. King of all the universe, far above all powers, we give you the praise that's to your name. We stand amazed, we sing aloud to you, the one. Oh
Let your name resound throughout the earth. Give the Lord some praise this morning. Give him some praise. Give him some praise. Don't stop praising this morning. Hallelujah. Oh, it's so wonderful. Come on, heads of the temple. Let me see you clap this morning. We're going to praise our beautiful king. Amen. Wonderful, so wonderful is your unfailing love. Your cross is broken, mercy over me. No eye has seen, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart could fully know. How glorious, how wonderful. Oh 